One of the worst feelings is that of being stuck. I know that I hate the feeling of being stuck. Whether you feel like you're stuck in a relationship that's failing, or you feel like you're in a job, you're stuck in a job that's going nowhere, or you feel like you're stuck financially, it's hard to make ends meet, it's hard to uh, keep things going uh, when you're living paycheck to paycheck. It's hard when you feel stuck spiritually, when you feel like you're just trying so hard to get it right, you're trying so hard to make God happy, and you, yet you still keep doing the same things over and over again that you know don't please Him, and that you know aren't good for you, and you feel stuck. And we do, we feel stuck relationally, or we'll feel stuck uh, physically in our, in our bodies, whatever that looks like, when it, with pain and with disease and illness. You know, we feel stuck sometimes. And one of the things that I hate about being stuck is that I feel like, like I'm wasting time. I, I hate wasting time. I hate wasting time. I'm very, very clock conscious, very, very clock oriented. Uh, I like to be on time. And I learned in, in, in uh, high school, in marching band, we had a, a, a thing that we did uh, that to be early is to be on time, to be on time is to be late, and to be late is to be dead. And uh, that's how I, I adopted that. I, I love to be on time for things. And when I say on time for things, I want to be 10 minutes early at least. So I like to be on time. And I hate wasting time. And when I'm stuck, I feel like that's what I'm doing. Whether I'm stuck in traffic, wasting time. I've got to be somewhere. I want to be there. I'm not going to be 10 minutes early. Or stuck in a drive-through, or stuck in a line, or stuck at a light, or, I know this is going to be hard to believe, stuck at a train. <laughs> oh, this has happened to you too. Being stuck feels like it's just wasting time. I came across a quote this week that I really like. It's from a pastor by the name of Craig Rochelle. Check this out, where he said, a waiting season is never a wasted season. Say that with me. A waiting season is never a wasted season. That sometimes when we feel stuck because we're waiting for something to happen, sometimes when we feel stuck and it feels like we're waiting and we're wasting time, I believe that this is true, that a waiting season is never a wasted season. When it comes to feeling stuck, we don't like it. Whether we're stuck physically or financially, emotionally, spiritually, being stuck just stinks. Today we're going to talk about a guy who got stuck. And he was stuck not of his own accord. Sometimes we get stuck and it's because of something we've done. We get stuck in our own consequences of our situations or circumstances. Or sometimes we get stuck because somebody sticks us there. That's what happened to Joseph. And that's who we're going to talk about today. Is we're going to talk about Joseph for a little while. Um, and we're going to talk about his story. In fact, we're going to talk about his story for the next two weeks as we continue on in this new series that we're starting called Your Story, His Glory. 
And we're talking about how God is able to take the, the stories of our lives and how he is able to take the bad situations and the bad circumstances and even the bad consequences of our choices and he can turn them around and he can make, work them out for good. And I believe that this is true. And we talked about this last week, how God is able to take the circumstances and situations in our lives and he is able to turn them around and use them for the greatest good. And last week when we talked about the greatest good, we talked about how the greatest good is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. Or in other words, that we would look more like Jesus. Now when it comes to looking like Jesus, you may wonder, well, what does that look like? I mean, I can't be sinless. I know myself too well. I don't think that that's what looking like Jesus means. I think when it comes to looking like Jesus, we need to love other people the way Jesus loved people, with compassion and, and, and that agape love that we talk about, that unconditional love. That if you want to look more like Jesus, you need to love people unconditionally. If you want to look more like Jesus, you need to serve people wholeheartedly. Because Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He went to the cross and he suffered and died for our sins and our sakes. He died so that we could go to heaven. That if we'll believe in him and repent from our sins, confess our faith and get baptized, God will wash away our sins and we'll go to heaven someday. But while we're here on earth, sometimes we feel like we're stuck. And that's never a good feeling. Being stuck stinks. Well, we're also going to talk, we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about different characters from Scripture and how God was able to take their situations, their circumstances, and even the consequences of their bad choices and turn them around and make good come out of it. And like I said, for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about Joseph. And this first uh, sermon on Joseph is from Genesis chapter 37. I call it being stuck in a cistern. Now, we don't talk about cisterns very much. It's not a word we use very often in the 21st century. A, a cistern was not a well, but rather it was a, uh, a limestone uh, hole where they would store water. I know it sounds kind of like a well, but it had no water source. You'd have to put the water in it. You would store it in order to water your animals and, and water your crops. So uh, when it comes to being stuck in a cistern, I think this is a great analogy for our lives and how we sometimes feel stuck. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 37. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It looks like this. It's on page 28 of the Bible in the chair in front of you. Somewhere around there, you should be able to locate one of those. Page 28. It's in Genesis 37 is where we are. Or if you brought your phone or your tablet, you can always use that. Use your favorite Bible app. I prefer uh, Bible Gateway or version. They're both great. Before we get into talking about Joseph, I want to kind of talk about the history of Israel leading up to Joseph. So you got a guy named Abram, and Abram received a promise from God. God changed his name to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you, make you the father of many nations. I'm going to give you many, many descendants, more than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. I'm going to give you all these descendants. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. I'm going to take you to a land uh, that is not your own, and, uh, and I'm going to give you many descendants. Here's the problem. Abraham didn't have any kids. And Abraham was kind of old-er, older. So Abraham has no children. He's older. His wife is older. She's barren. She can't have any kids. And she says to Abraham one day, why don't you take my maidservant, Hagar, and have a child with her? Abraham's a dog, okay. So uh, they conceive. They have a child, Ishmael. 
And God says, that's not the plan, Abraham. Your offspring will come through Sarah. Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. 90 years old. God opened her womb, and she gave birth to Isaac at the age of 90. Now, Isaac grew up, uh, and he married Rebekah. And Isaac and Rebekah had twin sons named Jacob and Esau. Now, Esau was the older son. Jacob was the younger son. Esau had the, birth, had the birthright. He had the rights of the firstborn son. Well, one day, Esau was hangry. Y'all know what hangry means? That's when you're so hungry that you're actually mad about it, that you're angry about it. We call it being hangry. Well, one day, Esau's hangry. He's been out hunting. He's starving. He comes in and says, I'm starving. Jacob's making this big pot of, of uh, Sean's uh, world-class championship chili. That's where I got the recipe. Anyway, uh, so he's making this pot of, pot of stew, and uh, Esau says, give me some of your stew. And he says, sell me your birthright. And he's like, I don't care. I'm so hangry. I'll eat anything. And so uh, he sells him his birthright, meaning that Jacob gets the rights of the firstborn son. He tricked his brother. Then he tricks his father. And so Jacob becomes the head of Israel. Actually, he's, uh, God changes his name to Israel uh, a little bit later on in Genesis. So you got Jacob. And Jacob's in love with a girl named Rachel. Um, and, but the problem is, is that uh, Jacob's uncle Laban decides to trick Jacob, the trickster. And he marries Rachel's older sister Leah first. And then he marries Rachel. Now, Jacob was a guy who played favorites. Jacob played favorites. And he had a favorite wife, and that was Rachel. Now, Rachel gave him two sons. The oldest son was Joseph. The younger son was Benjamin. And Rachel died while giving birth to Benjamin. So you've got uh, Jacob, who's got one living wife, one deceased wife. He's got children by uh, Rachel and, and Leah's um, uh, maidservants. And he's got 12 children, 12 sons. Okay, so he's got 12 sons. He's got one living wife and two, hands, two handmaidens or two maidservants, and uh, they're all living together. Now, like I said, Jacob liked to play favorites, and his favorite son was Joseph. And we're going to pick up his story right now in Genesis 37. So Genesis 37, verse 1. Read along with me. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, so he's a teenager, which means we don't like him already. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. They were the hand servants, the maid servants of Jacob's wives. Um, so he's tending uh, with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. He brought their father a bad report about them. So Jacob's out tending the flocks with his brothers and stepbrothers, and uh, he brings th his father a bad report about them. He's a 17-year-old tattletale. This is going to not end well. Uh, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Now, the, the amazing Technicolor dream coat that uh, Jacob made for Joseph was a sign that not only was he the favorite, because he didn't make a coat for anybody else, not only was he the favorite, but it also meant that he was probably intending 
to give Joseph the lion's share of the inheritance. Oh, this is really not going to end well. You have jealous siblings. We have a father who plays favorites, and we have a teenager who's a tattletale. This isn't going well. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. Uh oh. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. What would you do if your brother or sister said, I have a dream where you're going to bow down before me? I don't think so. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. I, I don't know if Joseph is just dense, but he tells his brothers this other dream. I, like he can't tell like murder staring him right in the face. And he can't tell that his brothers hate him because he tells them this dream. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. <clears throat> Let's keep going. Verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Now Shechem was 50 miles north of the valley of Hebron where jo Jacob and his family lived. So it's 50 miles north. In the winter when it would rain, you could graze your flocks closer to home uh, because the vegetation was lush. But when in the dry season after harvest, you had to go further away. You had to go find places for your sheep and your flocks to graze. So they are 50 miles away. Joseph is sent by his father to go check up on his brothers. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. See, Joseph knows, Jacob knows he can trust his son Joseph because he's a tattletale. Then he went off. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. Now, Dothan is 15 miles north of Shechem. So 50 plus 15 is 65. They are 65 miles away from home. There's no telephone, no cell phone, no internet, no Facebook, you know, no posting your status update, heading to Dothan to check on the brothers. Nothing like that at all. So nobody knows what's going on out here with Joseph and his brothers. Keep going. Uh, verse 19, uh, verse uh, 16, uh, 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Now, Reuben is Joseph's oldest brother. He was the oldest son of Jacob and Leah. So Reuben kind of has this sense of responsibility about him, uh, and he doesn't want bad things to happen to Joseph as much as his brothers do. 
So when Reuben, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert and don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe because he wore it everywhere. He's got the robe on, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Now remember Abraham? And Abraham had uh, Ishmael by Hagar. These are the descendants of Ishmael. But not only did Abraham have a child through Hagar, Ishmael, and not only did he have a child through Sarah, Isaac, he also had some children by another woman named Keturah. And two of her sons were named Medan and Midian. And so the Ishmaelites and the Midianites were relatives. And we're going to hear this term, Ishmaelites and Midianites, used interchangeably in this passage. So you got them, uh, if, take a look there at uh, verse um, uh, 25. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. They're traitors. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites <clears throat> and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, again, Midianites and Ishmaelites, they're all relatives. His brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. 20 shekels of silver is worth about six ounces. In today's prices, that's about 120 bucks. They sell their brother for $120. Now, if I was like 17 years old and I have a brother who's two years younger than me and I, if I could have gotten 120 bucks for him, it, I, I would have done it, okay? I, no shame in my game, Okay. We didn't get along at teenagers. We get along great now, but not then. So when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Poor Jacob. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So you've got Joseph who is stuck in a cistern. And sometimes we feel stuck too, right? Sometimes we feel stuck in a different kind of cistern, in a metaphorical cistern. Joseph was in a physical cistern. He was in an actual cistern. But sometimes we feel stuck too. Maybe you feel stuck in your job. Maybe you feel stuck in a job that you hate and you just dread getting up for work and you're thinking about tomorrow and tomorrow is Monday and, and maybe you have to work tomorrow or maybe you get tomorrow off and you've got to go to work on Tuesday and all you want is to either go on vacation or to get out of your job and, and you just, you hate your job and you feel stuck in a cistern of your career. You hate it. 
Or maybe you feel stuck in a relational cistern. You feel stuck in a relationship. And maybe it's with your spouse, with your husband or your wife. Or, or maybe it's with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Or maybe you're in a relationship with your parents that is no good. And you feel stuck at home if you're a teenager. Or maybe you're stuck in a relationship with your children and, and you just there's no peace there with your kids. And you feel stuck. Like things aren't ever going to get any better. And that is a terrible feeling. The feeling like things are never going to get any better. You feel stuck. Or maybe your cistern is physical. And maybe you're struggling with some kind of illness or disease. And you feel stuck by your body. Or you're in physical pain all the time. Or maybe your, your, your cistern is financial and you feel like you're in a, 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 a cistern that's 100 feet deep of debt. And you feel hopeless because of your debt. And you've got all these situations and all these cisterns that you're stuck in. And you don't know where to turn. And you don't know what to do. I think about Joseph. I think about Joseph for just a minute as his brothers are plotting against him. And they wanted to kill him, but they said, we'll just leave him to die. That's the last thing Joseph hears before he gets dropped into this cistern. We'll just leave him to die. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like you're just being left to die in a cistern. One of the interesting things about this passage of Scripture is that there is a conspicuously absent party. There is no mention of God in Genesis 37. God is nowhere to be found. So you got Joseph. And I'm wondering, what is Joseph doing when he's stuck in this cistern? What is Joseph doing at the bottom of this cistern? I wonder if he prayed. I wonder if he just talked to God and said, how did I get in this situation? And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're just so stuck that you're just trying to figure out, how did I get here? Well, there's something that I know about Joseph's story. There's something that's interesting about Joseph's story is that his rescue came from an unlikely place. His rescue came from an unlikely place. God didn't reach out with his hand and pull him out of the cistern. No, he was, he was sold into slavery to the Egyptians and when we talk about his story next week, we'll see how God worked it all out in the end. But for today, I want to ask you three questions about your cistern. And know this, that your rescue may come from an unlikely place. The first question I want you to ask when you are in your cistern, when you feel like God has forgotten about you, the first question I want you to ask is, how did I get into this cistern? Again, it may be a situation that you're stuck in that is not your fault or it could be a situation that you're stuck in because you made a bad choice sometimes we make bad choices we make bad decisions and we get stuck but let's not blame God for our cisterns second question I want to ask you how what can I learn while I wait in this cistern what can I learn while I wait in this cistern? Maybe you're learning patience. Or maybe you're learning perseverance. Or maybe you're learning unconditional love for your family or for your friends or for even for your enemies. 
What can you learn while you're in your cistern? Maybe you're learning to rely on God more, and you're learning to pray better and more often because you feel stuck. The last question is this. How will God rescue me from this cistern? I'm sure that was something that crossed Joseph's mind. As he was stuck in the cistern, how am I going to get out of here? And like I said, it was through the most unlikely of ways. God used the most unlikely methods to get Joseph out of the cistern, but he didn't leave him there. And my friends, that's what I want to encourage you with today, that God is not going to leave you in your cistern forever. God knows your location, and he knows your situation. Remember that. God knows your location, and he knows your situation, and he will not leave you in the cistern forever. He will rescue you. Now, it may not come in this lifetime. That physical healing that is going to deliver you may not come in this lifetime. That relationship might not get a whole lot better in this lifetime. But there's coming a day when God will make everything right. When God will make everything perfect. And like I said, it may not happen here. It may not happen now. But put your faith and your hope and your trust in God. For he cares for you. And he will rescue you eventually. So if you're stuck in a cistern today, if you feel like you are just completely stuck, Wait for the rescue that is coming your way. One of the interesting things is that sometimes we'll look for rescues where they're not. We'll look for rescues where they're not. I believe that God will rescue according to his will and according to his word and according to his time. So don't be looking for a rescue that may not be the, the rescue God has for you. In other words, if you're stuck in a relationship that you don't want to be in, God's rescue for you is not someone else's spouse. God's rescue for you is not necessarily anything illegal or immoral or unethical or anti-scriptural. Let God bring the rescue. And when he does, and he will, when his time is right, use your story for his glory Use your story to tell other people about how God rescued you because we all feel stuck from time to time. And God can use you and your story to help someone else. And he can use your story for his glory. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of Joseph and how you rescued him. We pray for our own rescue. God, sometimes we feel stuck, and I know that there are people in this room right now who feel stuck, that they are in a cistern that is not of their own making. They didn't get there by themselves, and they feel stuck. They feel hurt. They feel betrayed. Father, I pray for the rescue, that you would indeed rescue us from these cisterns where we feel stuck. I thank you that you give us hope thank you that you give us peace you give us power and patience and perseverance we do pray for these things today that when we are stuck and when we feel abandoned and alone when we 
feel defeated and weary. And Lord, you give us strength. Remind us of Joseph's story this week. The power to overcome through Jesus our Savior. In whose name we pray. Amen.